You are now listening to MedEd Talks in Cardiology, a Vindico Medical Education production. The following podcast series is titled Cardiovascular Risk Reduction in Patients with Diabetes, Coordinating Efforts Between Cardiologists and Endocrinologists, and is supported by an educational grant from Merck & Company, Incorporated. To earn CME credit, log into MedEdTalks.com and search Cardiovascular Risk Reduction. Or click the link in the notes section of this podcast to go directly to the activity, take the test, and complete the evaluation. Before beginning this activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Now, here's your host, Dr. Deepak Bhatt. Hi, I'm Dr. Deepak Bhatt, here with Dr. Peter Toth, and today we will be discussing the interplay between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular risk, implications for patients. Well, Peter, it's terrific to be speaking with you about this important topic. Maybe we could just start off, if you could review for the audience, the different factors that enhance risk in patients with diabetes. Hi, Deepak. As always, great to be here with you as well. And sure, be happy to. So we know that there are a broad range of pathophysiologic effects that are exerted by insulin resistance and type 2 diabetes. Among these are endothelial cell dysfunction. There's heightened systemic inflammatory tone, which of course adversely impacts vascular function. And the inflammation is quite profound because we know that there are many inflammatory mediators that are boosted via the effects of insulin resistance and uh, receptors of advanced glycosylated end products. We know that these patients are more prone to the development of hypertension because of the endothelial cell dysfunction, the impaired nitric oxide production. They have pretty severe forms of mixed dyslipidemia. Although their LDL may not be elevated, they typically have large numbers of small dense LDL. They typically have low HDL, and their triglyceride and remnant lipoproteins tend to be significantly elevated. And let me just define remnant lipoproteins for just a moment because typically we don't think about them. But remnant lipoproteins are the lipolytic products of the parent lipoprotein VLDL, uh, which is then converted into IDL, which is in turn converted into LDL. Because insulin resistance induces a relative inhibition of lipoprotein lipase, small VLDLs and IDLs tend to accumulate in patients with insulin resistance. And we know from a variety of studies that these lipoproteins contribute to overall cardiovascular risk. Of course, these patients also have elevations in their serum glucose levels, and this glucose when elevated, is toxic, and it participates in the development of endothelial cell dysfunction and can contribute to heightened systemic inflammatory tone. Obesity, of course, is a well-documented risk factor, and obesity, especially visceral adiposity, drives much of the insulin resistance that underlies the broad pathophysiologic changes that we observe in patients with diabetes. Well, that's a really useful and comprehensive answer. What about the STENO2 study? That did provide, I think, some information that's relevant in the context of our discussion. What did you think about that study? Yeah, STENO2 was pretty unique. You know, we typically see clinical trials in diabetics where 
either the blood sugar is controlled or the blood pressure is controlled through a variety of interventions or lipids are reduced via statins or some other lipid-modifying agent. But in Steno-2, the goal was very different. Here, they tried to assume a much more comprehensive approach toward managing not only the blood glucose, but also the blood pressure and the LDL. We know that the blood pressure, the hemoglobin A1C, the LDL level, they contribute quite significantly to macrovascular risk. And the importance of Steno-2 was that when you compare what would have been considered conventional therapy versus much more intensive therapy, where A1C blood pressure LDL are reduced more aggressively compared to less aggressively, there was really a remarkable difference in the long-term outcomes in these patients. And Steno-2 was pretty special because they went for almost 13 and a half years of follow-up. And by the end of the study, the patients who were more intensively treated, they experienced a remarkably uh, lower risk of mortality of about 50%. Um, and event rates for acute cardiovascular events were also remarkably lower. And this was a study that truly solidified thinking that, in fact, being more aggressive, treating LDL lower, getting blood pressure to a guideline-driven goal, reducing hemoglobin A1C and the like, promoting cigarette smoking cessation, regular exercise, this comprehensive program of risk factor management provided a remarkable level of reduction in risk for not only dying, but also for sustaining acute cardiovascular events. And it's, it's something we have to pay very close attention to. That's a beautiful summary. So a very important study in its own right, but then conceptually extremely important for physicians to realize that multimodal risk reduction, and I would say whether it's by lifestyle, polypharmacy, all of the above in, in at-risk patients, really is the way to go. That is, in particular, many patients with diabetes have multiple risk factors, and in real life, oftentimes poorly or uncontrolled ones. And everything we can do to get these in line, especially in concert, can bring down event rates quite substantially. Yes, and I think Steno-2 was the first prospective randomized study to demonstrate that comprehensive risk factor management was crucial toward providing remarkable levels of risk reduction for events and for death. And what about SGLT2 inhibitors and GLP-1 receptor agonists in particular? There's, of course, a lot of great data that's come out about these compounds in the past few years, including the ability to not just control glycemia and to do so with relatively few side effects, but more importantly, to influence cardiovascular outcomes, significant improvements in things like heart failure, especially with SGLT2 inhibitors, with ischemic events, especially with GLP-1 receptor agonists. Uh, how do you think these newer agents should fit into the care of patients with diabetes and at elevated cardiovascular risk? Yeah, that's a great question, Deepak. And I'll tell you, it's never been more exciting to treat diabetes than it is now. Finally, we have pharmacologic interventions that allow for us to significantly impact risk for acute cardiovascular events, but also for uh, the development and progression of heart failure. 
And this has never been the case before because up until recently, so many clinical trials provided significant reductions in hemoglobin A1C with a variety of agents, and yet we've never been able to demonstrate any reductions in macrovascular events. True, microvascular events, such as risk for retinopathy, neuropathy, nephropathy, these were beneficially impacted by reductions in glycemic burden. But till now, we really couldn't say that controlling diabetes tightly as an independent endpoint with available medications reduced risk for cardiovascular events. So let's start with the GLP-1 receptor agonist. Obviously, the incretin axis is something that is critical to agonize under normal physiologic conditions. In patients with diabetes mellitus with insulin resistance, the incretin axis is impaired. And so the GLP-1 receptor agonists have afforded us a whole new avenue for providing sustained agonism of the incretin axis. And this allows for us to improve insulin secretion, reduce glucagon production, um, and hence have better control over hepatic rates of glucose secretion when we don't want it. These agents provide wonderful incremental glucose control, but when you look at studies like LEADER or SUSTAIN-6 or RewIND, clearly they also provide significant reductions in risk for acute cardiovascular events. And in the case of LEADER, not only was the primary three-point MACE significantly reduced, but they also showed significant reductions in cardiovascular as well as all-cause mortality. In sustained six, a 39% relative risk reduction. In rewind with dulaglutide, 12% relative risk reduction, but the important issue there was that they not only took diabetic patients with established cardiovascular disease, but also took patients with diabetes who did not yet manifest evidence of disease. And both groups appeared to benefit. The SGLT2s, I think, have really rocked the, the stage because um, not only have these drugs demonstrated capacity to reduce mortality, but they have demonstrated a remarkable capacity to reduce risk for hospitalization for congestive heart failure. Obviously, we're always on the lookout for agents that improve outcomes in patients with heart failure. Patients with diabetes are extremely vulnerable to development of heart failure, not only because of ischemic cardiomyopathy, but also because they're at such great risk for developing diastolic dysfunction and heart failure with preserved left ventricular ejection fraction. They undergo a lot of fibrosis, they're, they're at risk for alterations in the ultrastructure of their myocardium, giving rise to very stiff, less compliant ventricles, very vulnerable to heart failure. And you see these remarkable reductions in heart failure admission rates in Empareg, about 38%. So these agents, the GLP-1 receptor agonists, the SGLT2 inhibitors, really have altered the landscape and now afford us opportunities to impact the care of our diabetic patients in ways we never thought possible before. Those are great points, and I would only add that this appreciation that there's a lot of heart failure that is occurring in people with diabetes with event rates that approximate 
myocardial infarction, which we'd previously been so worried about, I, I think the SGLT2 inhibitor literature really brought that to the forefront. In fact, even the DPP-4 trials got us thinking about heart failure. So really illustrates the importance, this interplay between type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular risk. Well, it's been great chatting with you about this topic. Hopefully the audience will find it useful. Thank you so much, Deepak. Thank you.